you're listening to Everyday Creative People. I'm your host, Dina Adrians, and this podcast is for the doers, dreamers, and makers of the world. For anyone who wishes they had more time and freedom to play, who struggles with creative blocks, or who's trying to figure out how to make a living while making art, I'm here to stumble through the madness by your side. Once you finish listening to today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast. Leave a comment and tell a friend. It will really help me out. You can also join the community over in the Creative Playground Facebook group after the show and find all the show notes at dinaadriance.com slash ecppodcast. Now settle in, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Creative People. I'm here with my guest today, Anita Marina, who I met actually just a few weeks ago, sort of impromptu. I stopped into this <laughs> like artist fair at Arena Stage in DC um, and walked up to her table and we just started talking. And Anita is a glass artist um, who has some really beautiful work. And uh, we just got into a really interesting conversation about how glass is made and uh, there are so many cool parallels between the process of making glass and all the things that can happen with it and uh, things that we deal with in everyday life. So I really wanted to um, have her on the show. So welcome, Anita. Wait, thank you so much. It's very exciting. I, I, and I would say also that we had a fabulous and fun conversation. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so excited to chat with you formally on the, on the podcast and get it out to the world. So just to start off with, can you tell us a little bit about your background? How did you get into glasswork and how long have you been doing it? So I've been doing uh, kiln form glass, uh, also known as fused glass, for a little over 10 years. And, you know, I kind of took a long route. I, ha- I actually had another job and career before that. And during that time, I discovered I was always making jewelry. I was working in PR and editorial. But then I t- I was doing beaded jewelry and some silver. And then somebody said, because I loved colors, they said, well, you should really try um, fused glass jewelry. And once I saw it, I thought, I, I need to try this. It was <laughs> looking so cool and looks like so much fun. And so I took one class um, at Wiser Glass Studio in Kensington, I think it was, and just immediately became hooked and took more and more classes and just fell in love mm. with the medium. And so um, have worked in it ever since. And when I finally retired from my everyday job um, two years ago, I, I decided that this was, you know, this was where my path was leading me anyway. And you know, and taking classes to go bigger and more diverse in my glasswork, uh, it was a, just a natural fit for me to um, continue learning from the other glass artists and then experimenting on my own. Mm-hmm. And speaking of your your day job um, <laughs> or your everyday job, I you called it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so prior to doing glasswork, you were working in um, education and also children's literature. Yes, I for uh, 28 years I was with the National Education Association, and I worked in their communications and editorial 
department and I ran their Read Across America program. I helped with the team run the National Read Across America program about children's literacy and diverse books. And, and it was really just a real labor of love. And then I wrote, also wrote for their magazine, NEA Today. But the children's literacy work was always my favorite because in bringing books to, you know, a, children and teachers and families, I discovered that some of the most vibrant, exciting work in art was really done by children's book illustrators. They're fearless and fabulous with color and, you know, form and uh, creating images that convey another writer's work or their own work. And so I think it was kind of a natural fit. And then just in the transformation of myself, just really began to take, um, take on some other kind of tasks and um, worked in that vein. And so I, I think I take some of the lessons and what my observations from these amazing illustrators and their boldness and then mm. try to translate that and think about my own work in that respect. Hmm. When you were doing uh, this work in, in um, education and, and literature, mm-hmm. Did you also have a visual creative practice throughout that time, or was it just when you started getting into glasswork? Um, my visual creative process was more with words, hmm. and that was more fascinating. You know, I did jewelry, and I loved beads and and doing a lot of you know handwork. But and it's always been part of my background. I I was an embroiderer. I did embroidery and. I did, you know, besides your usual finger painting and education, but um, more of the colorful work that I did was with words, and I love stories and storytelling. Um, but my fascination, and then I love photography and, you know, what I see out in the world. And so I, I think that that was, in many respects, my visual language and mm-hmm. oral language and in, in, uh, in words and and then words and pictures and then I thought and and then the translation and the um, fascination with color and imagery just began to you know kind of feed into Mm. this property and medium called glass and you know it's versatility and something so ancient that you know could be also at the same time used in modern context and I think that when I was doing jewelry as I was working in NEA because I did a lot of beaded jewelry. And then I discovered, you know, beads that were made of glass and with different um, coatings, which are called dichroic, and they would reflect differently. And I think that that was some of the, you know, they were like little jewels. And so I thought, well, you know, I got to learn how to do that. And, and so part of that, you know, it's, it's just, taking little nuggets. It's, you know, I do relate it a little bit with, um, with the writing process. It's very funny because I'm, I'm, I'm not an organized, uh, you know, outline maker. Mm-hmm. So I think I fit naturally into the art, artistic vein where <laughs> I discover things along the way and then kind of plug them mm-hmm. in. So um, in some respects, that was kind of my writing. I would plug a lot of different things as I told the story. And that's, that's, I think, part of the, the process with glass is it seems like there's a lot of um, things that just kind of happen along the way and you have to figure out how to work with it. Is that right? That's absolutely true. I was, in fact, I was just as I was getting ready to 
do this interview, um, I really began to think about, well, what is it about glass that I love? And I, all I could think of really that most is most appealing is the transformative property of glass. So glass has this ability to become liquid, to become solid again, or to be powders, or, you know, to draw lines or, you know, shapes. And you have this ability to manipulate it or change it. And, and it is, it's transformative. And it's a, you can create a visual language in so many ways. And that's what I love about it. Mm -hmm. You know, glass, which is hard, like, I think the origins of glass is sand beginning, heated up, becomes more liquid, and then it becomes glass. Well, the same way as a glass artist, you are just basically a magician. Mm -hmm. And you take what used to be like, of solid sheet of glass and you can break it up and crush it up and transform it into a recognizable image or you do an abstract image or you melt the whole thing together and what I also love about glass is that well if it's not exactly what you wanted in the first place if the glass drips and changes or reacts against one another in a way that you weren't uh, quite expecting then you can break it up or you can change it into something else. And, you know, it's, it's, it's forgiving. It's, it's unrelenting. It is uh, challenging. And I think any glass artist would say, you know, it can yank your chain, but it can also lead you in a direction you never thought you would head into. Hmm. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned from glasswork? Um, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is um, I think to as many glass artists would tell me is like, just jump in, do it. Don't be afraid. Don't judge as you go and, or do a lot of comparison. Although you learn from other artists. So you, you take what you learn and then you make it your own, I think. Mm. And so you take and develop your own language and frame of reference. And I think that the other thing, that I learned is that it's um, it's a forgiving medium in some respects, and it's a challenging medium. But I think that you can change it. I think it's it, I think what it tells you is that you have a lot of power, imaginative power within you to do something. And we're all hard on ourselves as artists. I'll look at something and say, you know, that doesn't look like what so and so did, and and yet somehow in there is probably my own style in there and I have to and it's also I think I also realized that I have to find my way in it mm-hmm. I think part of this is that discovery process so um, a couple of my mentors have said just just get in there just keep doing it and experimenting and playing with it and you'll find it and it's even my husband tells me to spend the time in your studio and it's about you know getting down in there and doing the work and for a lot of the artists I admire that and the work that they have come up with you know just brilliant styles and textures and images it's because they have been experimenting and playing and creating new methods or discovering new uses that um, as fellow artists we're just beholden upon them to do it but they're also telling you go and expand and Mm. explore yourself Mm -hmm. I think those are great lessons in any field but particularly in glass yeah what are some of the explorations that you've embarked on 
So I, <laughs> it's really fun. So <laughs> I have, um, one of my favorite methods is actually doing uh, stacking up glass. It's called screen melting or flowing flow bars and things like that. And this is where you stack a whole bunch of glass on a uh, screen. It has to be a stainless steel screen or metal rods or things like that. And you're basically doing stacks of colors and then you heat it at a higher temperature and then the glass flows and it drips and it pools and it, um, you know, swirls and it does all these wonderful things in the high heat of the kiln. And then you got to be really patient um, for the glass to settle and uh, wait for it to cool down enough for you to, you know, just open up the door. And that's, that's the other lesson is patience. Cause mm -hmm. you, if you open up the door too soon to the kiln, it'll crack and it'll do these different things. So that's one method I love. And the discovery happens when you open the kiln cause you're not quite sure what happens. And so you have these wonderful colors on the top and on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And then another great method that I have loved and discovered um, from artists like uh, Gail Stouffer and uh, Nancy Weiser and others is the use of imagery and you can screen print it with glass on glass onto glass you can screen print and powder print with glass and you can take images and combine them and create that wonderful quality to it or one of my mentors Carrie Minnick she does this gorgeous painter-like uh glass pieces that are very ethereal and painter-like and it's because of her own experimentation with texture and colors and form and so everybody has their own language and I think that that's what's really nice you know um, some people do strip cutting and and cutting long strips of glass and then piecing them together I love also uh, what's called vitrograph um, where you pile up a bunch of glass into what looks like a flower pot and you put it in a kiln that's raised up and then the, at a certain temperature, high, high temperature, the glass begins to drip um, through the hole and you start pulling and twisting and, and then you mm -hmm. use that in elements and your other glasswork. And it's, it's so magical. I think that's <laughs> what's so neat about it. And, you know, you become like the magician, the scientist, the, you know, yeah. the mad, mad scientist in some <laughs> respect, but <laughs> I always know the always. words were literally coming to my lips when you said it, the mad scientist. <laughs> <laughs> it's so that. true. I mean, if you saw mm -hmm. also some, sometimes if your hair is kind of standing on end, you're going, oh my God, you know, because you just at hours and hours of waiting and, and manipulating. And so you're kind of mm -hmm. um, playing and count and, you know, cutting and, you know, not everything goes well. A cut isn't always straight. So you will set that aside and, you know, know that you have to use that in a different way or in a different piece because mm -hmm. it's, uh, it, because that's the other lesson is that, you know, glass doesn't always do what it, what you tell it to do. And so you do have to be flexible. Um, and you do have some levels of frustration. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I love it. You keep, uh, you keep talking about, oh, my mentors, one of my mentors. <laughs> and it sounds like you have some yeah. of them. I'm curious, um, you know, I think that particularly for people who are just sort of starting out or, or wanting to get into a medium, 
there can be a question of like, oh, I need a mentor. How do I find a mentor? I'm just curious, how did you find your mentors? Are they all people that you took classes with or, or what happened for you? So I, you know, in the beginning, yes, there are people I took classes with and I was a, um, I took classes at wonderful studios and uh, would take more at, at studios. And then I became a studio artist with one glass artist, Carrie Minnick, in her studio and watched her work, but also had other artists that we, we drew from each other and just spending the time and watching each other work and working ourselves. Mm. And then what you discover too, and then I was part of a, the Art Glass Center at Glen Echo, which was also fabulous, where you had additional artists and who had their specialties and you learned from them and your fellow artists. Um, and then I and another glass artist, Kathy Thomas, have just recently formed DC Glass Artists. Um, and so we've worked together with other artists and we challenge each other to do um, our own work and mm. other types of work. But what I've also wonderfully discovered, of course, in this age of social media and internet, are Facebook groups like Fuse Glass Fanatics or Glass Artists. And there are wonderful artists like uh, somebody, Bob Leatherborough, who does this gorgeous, gorgeous work or, um, you know, these other artists that you meet and through a medium that you that you love and you don't have you don't often have um, physical contact with them, but they are tremendous mentors in when you ask a question or when you see their work or they sh they're tremendously generous in their sharing of their knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so that is really magical. And then I belong to the Glass Art Society. And so their conferences and are, are, are fun and educational. And so you do things like that, or you'll go to a class at Corning, the Corning Museum or other glass communities and, and institutions around the country. What I have discovered most in my experiences is that the glass community is so, so generous and uh, supportive. So even if you're a newbie, you know, bent on making, you know, knowing that you're going to make a mistake or nervous about, I don't think I even, I bought a kiln and didn't really open the doors and try it for, I think, two years. Oh, wow. And to, until somebody said, you know, open it up, <laughs> you know, start it, try, put some glass in it and do it. I was so intimidated. They said, no, just go ahead and take that leap. And I think when you have people who say, yes, go ahead and jump. It's okay. Um, and if, it, if something goes wrong, um, you can have the support to, to tell you this crack because of uh, temperature change or you didn't anneal it fast enough or these glasses, these types of glasses fight against one another. Mm. So, you know, when if you have questions on recycled glass or this beautiful um, type of properties that are done in glass, you can go to somebody like a Nikki O'Neill or, you know, other artists and they, they're the wealth of knowledge based on their experimentation is tremendous and uh, only equal by their generosity in sharing that knowledge. Mm. And then you have people who are now creating eBooks um, both Vitrum Studios, which is no longer an actual physical studio, have are now sharing their knowledge through ebooks, or the same thing with 
um, the art of the Canadian artist Bob uh, Leatherbarrow and other people are beginning to share their knowledge through other um, other ways, whether it's ebook or articles in a glass art mu- uh, magazine. Um, and then just you know, if there are some in the area, they're they're just great at sharing information. So mm. your glass studios and stores are places where the experts are there and fantastic to talk to. I love it. It sounds like there's there's so many different levels and layers um, and and locations for community and for information around your work. Like you mentioned uh, just artist studios, Facebook groups, Google, uh, stores where they're selling glasswork, museums. And it, it sounds like it's just this constant process of like trying and figuring stuff out on your own, but also seeking out answers through all these different communities that you're a part of. Associations also, you mentioned, you mentioned a few different associations that you're a part of. Yeah, right. I'm part of the National Capital Glass Guild. And then there are, you know, Bullseye Glass does a whole series of videos um, Bullseye Glass is based in Portland, and then they have some out, offshoot uh, stores and places where glass artists go, but they also create um, learning videos. And then, of course, there is YouTube, and it's a tremendous resource for people from beginning to, to veteran stage where you can find out uh, all sorts of ways of playing with glass and working with glass and you see the skills and some people who because they don't have easy access to studios have really taken on learning from these uh these mediums and becoming amazing artists and i i just marvel at what they've they themselves have accomplished and and i think that that's also really neat because it's it's also a way for you to see oh you know i never would have thought of the use of this particular type of glass or glass technique in this work. And, you know, Bullseye has this uh, competition called Emerge. And so artists share their uh, work and they select some key artists and some of their, their favorite ones who, you know, it's all juried in. And so they find people who are really, you know, pushing the envelope on work. And so one of the artists who has just, is in the 2018 exhibit, she has taken what's called Pat de Verre, which is powder. It's like a paste, creating a paste from glass, but mm. then creating sculptures wow. with it. And she's done these realistic bones and skeleton type of forms. I mean, you can do dress forms. You can do, there's an amazing artist, Richard Parrish, who does aerial landscapes and creating um, the look of um, la- landscapes from what he saw when he was in airplanes? But he also has doing some translation of what he sees as climate change impact on uh, landscapes, all in glass. I mean, there are a number of artists who do that, and then there are a number of artists who also are talking about the current state of affairs. There's, I think, an exhibit right now in Portland that that these artists have taken social issues or science issues like climate change and translated that into glass and said, you know, this is um, my view or my uh, viewpoint on a particular issue. And I think that that's what is so wonderful about it. You can be a storyteller. You can just be, you can be an artist who 
just finds beauty in landscapes or color or shape or form. But you can also be a chronicler of the times or, a, mm. you know, a translator of a culture or an idea. And I think that that is what is so um, inspiring, I think, for a, an artist like me who sees others. And, and, and I'm trying to figure out my path in doing the same thing. I, I have ideas in terms of translating my own family's experience from the Philippines to here um, and also the connections to other tribal communities, whether the Maori in New Zealand or, um, but also, you know, experiences that, um, that can be shaped and shared. Hmm. Um, and then that, that wonderful interplay of light becomes part of it as well. So I, I think, you know, as your audience thinks about art out there, have them find a, find these galleries that have glass artists because there's, there's so much that people do. I mean, they're artists, uh, artists like me who I love texture and imagery and translate that, but there are also some who are glass blowers who do shapes and um, forms and interplays of color and light that are simply astounding. I mean, not just Dale Chihuly, but um, in Seattle, there's an artist, Lino Tagliapietra, and um, who does that. He has a studio. He's Venetian, or no, he's actually from Murano, outside of Venice. And he also has a studio in Seattle, and his work is, he's one of the masters. Um, and in fact, uh, the Glass Art Society conference was just held in Venice, and they did a glass fashion show a uh, special one by who coordinated by the glassblower Laura Donifer, who does all the amazing glass fashion shows. And these artists and their models who do did glass fashion, and it was all on gondolas. And so uh, the participants got to see it. And um, and so, so it was be, like displayed on gondolas. Well, they were the the models were on standing on gondolas in regalia oh, wow. created by glass artists. <laughs> so from crowns to wow. bodices to dresses to you know uh, masks. Uh, it, I will send hmm. you a link to some of the uh, this year because it is. And then I think next year it's in St. Petersburg, Florida. So I hope to be one of the artists participating as well because I can't wait to figure yeah. out what I want to create in terms of a glass dress or a gown or a, you know they would create wings and, and you know mm -hmm. even the little dogs and cast uh, you know crowns <laughs> and stuff it's, it's un unbelievable oh that's so yeah cool. you'll love it I'm curious you were mentioning uh, sort of some ideas about connecting back to your uh, Filipino heritage yeah. and sort of um, sharing something about that through the glasswork. You also were talking about storytelling a little bit. I'm just curious, can you give like an example of what that might look like? Yes. So um, my parents, uh, my mother and father, my late mother and father come from a tiny set of islands to the northernmost of the Philippines called uh, Batanes. My mother was from one island that you could only get to by boat. And my father was from the capital island. Um, and so that you fly into, um, but they are one of the small indigenous tribes in all of the Philippines. And they, um, and it's really fascinating. There, there were a lot of artists within that community. And, and um, so they created, and they were, you know, they're, 
this particular community dates back even into the early centuries. Um, and then where they were discovered by the Dutch in the 1600s and then the Spanish uh, when they were colonized and then the Americans came through. But what I discovered, uh, I have a cousin who's an anthropologist um, and my husband mm-hmm. is a cultural anthropologist as well, but my cousin who's a cultural anthropologist has done books and one of which they, the women were made gold necklaces. They were the ones who were the artists who made these beautiful gold necklaces. And then mm-hmm. um, they were weavers and basket makers. And there's um, what's called the vacuole, which is, looks like it's the raincoat, but it's woven and it's all these fronds. Um, that form a large coat and um, and then of course in with designs and beaded designs and um, symbols you know Filipino tra- tattoos are very symbolic and very popular um, and the imagery there so I and, and the stone houses where my mother was from are are made with uh, glass thatch grass thatch roofs and then big stones to keep it um, to keep people safe in the typhoons. And so these places are rooted in culture. And then, of course, they, they're, this particular group of people were very big storytellers. It's also one of the most literate parts of the Philippines. They were very known for their mm. literacy rate and their education. Um, but they're also tremendous storytellers. And in fact, my nephew is there, and it's an oral um, singing tradition and storytelling called the Laji, and he's recorded them of the last of the the, mm. sing, the singers and storytellers. But I want to kind of think about, well, what do I, what is part of my heritage? I think all of us search for our own connection. Um, and I was the first one born right. in the States, and my parents came over from the Philippines uh, around World War II. My father was a Philippine scout who became part of the U.S. Army um, because he, he joined the U.S. Army, uh, became a U.S. citizen by doing that because the Philippine scouts helped the U.S. servicemen. And then we finally mm-hmm. moved to the U.S. And so everybody searches for their culture and their their cultural connection. And I thought, well, you know, the glass artist, can I take imagery of some of these um, older people and the the beautiful looks of, and the markings on their faces or the uh, what they wore, um, what their traditions were, and can I translate that into image pla- images placed on glass? or images created in glass where I cast something that is more three-dimensional dimensional and something sculptural. Um, how can I play with that and um, share a little piece of that culture with, with the world? They're, um, they're one of the indigenous groups and they're, um, they're a very protected area because nobody wants to lose that beautiful vibrant culture it's become a real destination place for people and so they're a little worried about Hmm. tourism but the culture is so rich and there's a whole group of artists that are now reviving one of my dear friends um late she passed away from lung cancer about 12 years ago pasita abad who did these tremendous paintings and she did what's called tripunto paintings where she painted and sewed on it and embellished it um and did these gigantic pieces. And she was also a, a mentor and a source of inspiration for me. And so there's a whole group of young artists being created uh, in, and inspired by her and her 
foundation. And um, so they're bringing this art and these images of the people into the public eye because of the dedication of, of the artists, both there and then abroad. Hmm. So what is your process for like taking these, this concept that you have and actually translating that into a work of art? Um, so I think for something like that, I will probably um, work on some sketches first or I'll line up, you know, colors and kind of decide what kinds of colors I want to use um, and mm. the method that I want to use. So I, I try to make, I think, some decisions. Do I create some pieces as a flat piece that I screen print on, like you would screen print um, a T-shirt or a poster? You can do a lot of that with glass and powders and enamels. Or do I um, create sculptures? So I, I think part of it is making a decision. And I think with something like this that's so personal, I think I'll map out um, what the series of pieces would look like mm. first, which is not always the case. You know, sometimes I'll just um, experiment and throw some things together. But I think what I've learned uh, now is, you know, I can be more deliberate. And so I'll do some, um, what my fellow artists are showing is that, you know, do some test pieces first and start your, um, in order to try to figure out which works best, um, start small and start creating some test pieces. And then once mm. you decide, you know, this medium or this way of um, expressing this image or feel works best, then start to go larger and larger um, and then and make decisions as whether you want that to hang um, and be seen from yeah. afar or be seen and even touch. Mm. Is there a textural part, part of it? Um, do you want to make that more three-dimensional? Is you want texture to be part of that um, piece? Um, and so there are lots of different decisions along the way. Um, and then you also have to make room for mistakes that happen or um, sure. challenges that face you. And so that, that, that's going to be very interesting and, and very new for me to do like a whole series. But I'm, I, I think this is going to be very exciting to, to do. When you have a specific idea in mind like that, mm -hmm. how many iterations of a single piece might you go through before you reach the final product? Um, for something like that, I, I really will anticipate about probably three or four. I have not done that in the past. I've done right. like one and then done it again uh, with a mistake, you know, no, learning from the mistakes. But I really do anticipate this one being um, three or four. And some people, they'll go through men, multiple firings and multiple, you know, five and six and ten and, you know, other ways of continuing to um, refine the look or the feel. So um, I anticipate this not being a short process. I think this one being more of a longer <laughs> one. And so um, I definitely will, sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll have to be really patient, but, um, mm. but I think, I think maybe in starting small and kind of playing around with that first so that um, I think the glass and the image and the techniques will reveal themselves as we go. 
Um, and and the, then the question is, is what storytelling aspect do I want to incorporate into that? Is that something written that yeah. will go with it? Is that words incorporated into a piece or do I let the imagery take, um, do the work? And um, that's, this is all really mm. new for me. Um, my stuff is tends to be a little bit more abstract, some um, not so narrative, but I, I think that there's more. And also to convey the beauty of a place that very often for many years was more isolated. People didn't go up to the Tanis as much, um, which was a good thing for the place because it was beautifully preserved and also, you know, just a wonderful place to go and very safe. And now there's a little bit of encroachment and tourism and other challenges. And so what do we where are we where are we headed with that and and I know my nephew's doing some work on climate change, and then they're facing you know plastic debris and others from cruise ships that are way far away mm. from them, but still end up washing ashore because they're not that far from Taiwan oh. and then other you know ships and other things other vehicles they go along a route that you know and they'll dump trash and then it ends up you know, on the shores of these mm. beautiful islands. And so there are some lessons there that we may, we must, um, you know, pay attention to. Yeah. Wow. So you, speaking of family, yeah. uh, you have two daughters who are also very creative in their own ways. <laughs> yes, I do. I have twin daughters who just, uh, this past weekend, uh, graduated from college, uh, Yay. Yes, I know. It's so exciting. <laughs> so amazing that it happened so quickly, I think. Um, one of them is, uh, she's a film, she was a film and media student up at Smith College. She's a filmmaker and uh, she's a photographer as well. The other is uh, just graduated from the University of Maryland College Park in architecture and, um, and folks in studio architecture. And it's, I think both of them have this incredible gift in the way in which they see object, the world. I mean, it's, I learned so much, you know, from one in terms of how I see film and cinematography and the other in how I look at buildings and shape and the use of light. And the three of us actually hope to do some collaborative work as well, um, translating one, their medium into uh, their own work. And um, so that will be really, really exciting to see what we do together. Yeah. We really want to, to challenge each other and challenge ourselves to create mm -hmm. an exhibit that shares our skills and plays off our skills and our way of looking at the world. Um, but they, have, they both have such a great career ahead of them. Um, I, I just marvel at what they <laughs> do and share with me. It's, it's mind boggling. <laughs> Is there anything that you feel like you, I guess I'm curious, like how do you feel like your own creative process or creative learning has impacted your, your daughter's development? So my, my daughters, uh, Karina and Tassiana. Karina's the filmmaker, Tassiana is the architect. I, you know what, I, they are so sweet in that they give both me a lot of credit as an artist and then my husband's a cultural anthropologist. So, you know, it challenges them to think differently mm -hmm. in terms of storytelling and watching cultures and others. But as artists, you know, I, I have always encouraged them 
to be to experiment and to look at things differently and to to play around with you know with with what's ahead of them what's in front of them and you know i think that they they're so sweet and that they they give me credit and that and um and how they are innovative and they they are fearless i think and but i think that that's really in them mm. and i think that's also a product of the young and that they're so fearless um <laughs> but they do they they have this ability to kind of cock their head like one of what my daughter tassiana whose uh, portfolio is their architect architecture portfolio is unbelievable because she creates structures and structural forms that and then has them photographed in a way and describes them away and has people moving and light moving in ways that I just are unbelievably uh, gobsmacked I think it's probably the appropriate word <laughs> and then Karina you know a filmmaker and and I, I I see as a cinematographer so whenever she takes a photo she never takes it uh, always from one angle she'll do, look down at her shoes or she'll get down um, lean down to a ground and look up and peer through a building or through trees or at an off angle or fill a frame in such a different way mm -hmm. that um, you know, I think I learn as much from them as they say they learn from me. And, and maybe that's because we talk a lot about it. And, you know, I, I it's really just, I encourage them, I think. And I, I think that that's what I got from both of my parents, too. My mother, I think, was a closet artist. You know, she was a, uh, had mm -hmm. to take care of five kids, but you know, our cakes were never the, you know, simple cakes, you know, there was always swirls <laughs> of color and things like that. And what she could do with a, you know, a, a napkin in terms of creating, you know, something for Christmas or a snowflake or, you mm. know, all these different things. There was, uh, you know, the world was kind of at your, you know, from daisy chains to shells and things like that. It was, um, they were tools and, um, really fun. So I think I just, I basically handed down my skills and mm -hmm. my perspectives and my talent from one to another. And, and I'm just a vehicle that just helps pass it through, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure they'll do the same. And, and I think, and then they, they just uh, inspire and invigorate their own peers and, and they're just marvelous as well. I mean, I, I, you know, I think you're, you're so, you're so humble to just brush it off like that, but I, <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm sure a big part of it is just the way that you live your life and the way that you see the world. Uh, and Thank so it doesn't, you. it's not something you think about a lot. Yeah. Um, but I think that that passing on that spirit of exploration yeah. and encouragement and, you know, seeing the world through your own lens is not something that everybody gets from their parents. It, you know, it's not. I, I, I feel very, very fortunate. And then, you know, I, and my sister, my younger sister, Vicki, and uh, Vicki Jekic in Idaho, she's actually created a foundation in my parents' memory called Marina Healing Arts. And this is about the mm. use of art and art therapy and music and art in the healing of whether it's cancer, you know, in cancer or, you know, helping somebody in end stage, you know, in, uh, in hospices or the use of music. She's got now a, a degree in music therapy and she works at a, a cancer 
uh, Institute, but, but most of all, she created this foundation and also um, survive, cancer survivors or people who have had life-threatening illnesses, survivors who are artists in themselves, and she's created festivals or created, you know, boxes of um, that are for people who've lost their um, babies and prematurely, or she works with hospitals and, and other ways, and also just mm-hmm. the power of music. Uh, and and words and stories and sound, um, you know what she has brought. She honors my parents in in the same way, in a different way, and in a, a real tribute to what they um, shared with us. And and I think in the culture, I think, and I think that all of us, including my daughter, my sister, my husband. I think we see that art and the, this way of living as a counterbalance to certainly what's mm. happening now, but, but always what, um, what kind of challenges us and threatens to defeat us or, you know, whether it's hatred or war or everything. Everywhere you go, you'll find an artist trying to chronicle something, whether it's in the Japanese internment mm. camp, there were artists who were way in there trying to record what was happening or even in the camps, I have a dear friend who passed away was a Holocaust survivor. And, you know, in those camps, there were places who, where the artist, you know, reigns and, you know, they did it under darkness of night or they did it quietly or they took a, a photo or they captured a moment and, and then it's, it's to be shared and it's to be, um, inspire somebody else. It's to be, you know, a source of inspiration or resilience. I, I think the one thing that my parents who lived through, multi, you know, war and poverty and other things, it, it taught, I think, me to be resilient. And I think the best thing mm-hmm. I help to share with my own daughters is that importance of, if anything, even college learning and higher education if I can if I and my husband is the same way if we could teach them to be resilient people and humane and empathetic people then we have we will we will have done a lot um and and then they paint the world I mean my favorite thing about my my did a eulogy for my friend Pasita and you know I I think of sunsets and sunrises differently because of her and I just think of that's what she's doing in the world and when I think of my parents and the girls do too you know when there are two butterflies that are falling around that's them and they're just kind of checking and making sure you know you're all right and you know there's there's always that moment and 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 nature as a an artist that they're just you know that just gives us a great example of you know what this is what's possible you know and uh you know nature's the artistry is is tremendous and we're just pulling you know from all ends and places and yeah. you know and if we can store it within ourselves to help shore us up during these really tough times then we will we will have done a lot hmm. Hmm. has there ever been a time when you have found it challenging to create yeah. So here's my, here's my word of advice for people who think, I don't know if I can do this or I'm struggling or I'm blocked. I literally spend hours just staring at my glass <laughs> or in glass work or my work table and think, okay, I'm going to give it up. I can't, this is, I don't know what am I doing? Why is the glass cutting this way? 
I'm so hard on myself or, you know, or I'll just think, you know, what in the world am I, where am I going? What am I trying to do? And then, you know, I, I think like my husband always says, you know, just get down there and work. It doesn't matter. Just go and try this and go in there and immerse yourself. And, you know, we, I struggle all the time. I think um, that's part of it. It's, it's part of it. It's, it's pain and pleasure. I guess we, we should always say mm-hmm. pain, pleasure, and <laughs> definitely passion. I mean, sometimes the pain is worse than the pleasure is, or sometimes the pleasure of mm-hmm. something coming out and either surprising you or exactly what you wanted to have it look like is um, wonderful. And, you know, I think that it's, it, they come in waves and um, you got to ride one wave harder than the other <laughs> to use this thing being from California that's kind of my this even though I wasn't a big surfer <laughs> there's your surfer mental you know uh, metaphor but sometimes you do have to ride it and sometimes you do have to either be forgiving or be hard um, or or just be a cheerleader for yourself to say you know hang in there um, yeah, it doesn't mm. look like what you thought everybody else would look like. And, you know, I have my ugly pile like everybody else. So that's not what I share <laughs> very often. Or sometimes that mistake or if you throw something. I mean, that's what's so neat about glass is, you know, I'll have a piece and I'll think, you know, I don't really like it. And I'll put more glass on it or I'll melt it again. I'll do something else. And then or this one piece, for example, um, which was a flat piece. And then. Um, with the help of another artist who gave me the advice, we, you can do what's called a drop and you take that flat thick circle and you put it on a hollow ring, a ceramic ring, and you put it in the kiln and the, the center drops through that hollow ring. And, um, hmm. and when it does, and then you can either keep the, after it's cooled, and you can either keep that rim off or you can cut it off. But what happens with that is that the colors and the shapes they stretch, and then other things are revealed, and other things magically mm-hmm. happen. Or you'll throw glass together, and they'll react against one another because of a sulfur content or something else, or the temperature. And and I think that that's what happens. Is and that's why you know um, sometimes your mistake turns out to be something. Uh, and I, and I, it was a happy accident, I think you call it. And sometimes it's something you will never, that will never see the light of day. And yeah, I've got that you know, like box of those. Um, but maybe someday I'll take that out and cut it open and, and find something else. Um, you know, mm. but uh, <laughs> it, it is, it is, um, <laughs> it's a process, but it's a way of learning too. So that's always good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that piece of like, okay, I have my ugly pile, yep. but every once in a while, I'll look at that ugly pile and I'll find something new that I didn't see there before. Yes, absolutely. Or somebody <laughs> will look at your ugly pile or your ugly piece, the thing that you thought this, I just can't stand it. And they'll say that one, I really like that one. And you're <laughs> shocked and surprised and they wa- they'll want it. And you'll just think, maybe I was really hard on myself, or maybe there was a nugget in there that I was finding. Um, but I think you're right that sometimes you go back and you go, oh, that's, that's something, you know, I see something else in that. And then you manipulate it or you put it in some other stand or 
something like that, or you see light shine through it, and it's a whole different look to it. And I think that's mm. incredible. That's what art is. is yeah. That's what's so fascinating. I never, ever would have thought that art was a path for me because I was a history major and thought writing and w- didn't think that a visual, uh, that visual art was ever something that was part of my repertoire or even my future. And, and it does make me think, wow, really, I wish I could have discovered this a long time ago. But, you know, sometimes, <laughs> you know, you do discover it in your 60s or 50s. And it's even more precious because of that. Mm. This is a great place to end this conversation. I feel like we could go on for hours, but like, let's end this note. Excellent. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. So Anita, if people want to see more about your work, where can they find you? So they can find me. I have a website, uh, amarinaglassworks.com, and it's a Mary E-R-I-N-A, glassworks.com. I also have a Facebook page. And then a new thing, which I really love, I and this amazing glass artist, Kathy Thomas. The two of us have created DC Glass Artists. And it's a, um, we have it on Facebook. There's a Facebook page. And then Kathy uh, and I are working madly on our website to bring that to fruition Hmm. and then we are going to do in fact at my uh i'm i'm gonna do we're gonna create these glass art parties with a cause a charitable cause so the first one is june 23rd and it's going to be for the little free library organization but that's one of the things we're going to want to do is to create you know create a little pop-up gallery and exhibition and shop but we're going to be donating part of the proceeds to a, a cause of the host choosing Cool. Yeah. So if people are in the DC area and they want to find out about these glass parties, yes. et cetera, they can go to the DC glass yes, artist Facebook page. They can go to the Facebook page. It's already up there. There's a post uh, postcard image up there. Um, and there you can, our, our um, email address is there. And then mine is uh, Marina studio at gmail.com. And so, and I, we love to awesome. hear feedback on our work. So don't be shy and you know we love that's how we learn so um and we love it when you love it so that's always good too (laughs) (laughs) wonderful thank you so much Anita it's been lovely having you on the show thank you so much for listening to everyday creative people If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast, leave a comment, and tell a friend. Drop me a note on Facebook at Dina Adrian's Coaching and join the community over in the Creative Playground Facebook group. I'd love to hear from you. See you again next Monday. Same bat time, same bat channel.